0: Okay, today we start, or continue I should say, our eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel Series. We have been on Element 6 for a while, which Element 6 is receiving Jesus Christ or responding to the Gospel. And we are today on Element 6L, so you can count up if that's like 13 messages on Element 6 or something like that. Halfway through the alphabet, about 13 or somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, this particular one is on the words reconcile or reconciliation and uh, and that the concept of reconciliation must of necessity mean you're redefining all relationships in life. You're redefining your relationship with God. You're redefining your relationship with his church. You're redefining your relationships with your natural family. And you're bringing those under the lordship of Christ and the direct teaching of Scripture, which is contrary to what Bible-believing Christianity is teaching today. Bible-believing Christianity has this hierarchy of uh, God, and then your natural family, and then uh, and then your nation, and you know your patriotism to America and your loyalty to the loyalty to the Antichrist state. And uh, and then somewhere you work into later down the road, uh, maybe after your job and uh, so forth, you, you think about your relationship to his church. <laughs> that is entirely unbiblical and in, and just part of the symptom of the fact that we have no ecclesiology in the church today. But really, the number one priority is God, and that's it. <laughs> because all other relationships get their definition from God, and you can't put... One, two, three, they uh they are all of the relationships have to be defined the way God defines them. And you can't order them in that sort of way. However, Jesus does make it clear that your relationship to his church is actually more important than your relationship to your natural family if you're if that is interrupting your following God. When When Jesus' own mother, who'd had an angel speak to her, who had conceived him uh, as a virgin, and had all sorts of prophetic things said to her by Simon in the temple and Anna the prophetess and uh, so forth, and had treasured all these things in her heart, she had actually came to a point during Jesus' ministry where she thought Jesus had lost his ways and he wasn't following the priority, of God, family, nation, first, <laughs> and that he had you know he had elevated his missional community above the fact that the oldest son was supposed to stay home when the when the father died and take over his father's business and take uh and take the management of his brothers and sisters, uh, even if they were grown adults, he would he would still be the become the patriarch of the family. And and th- that was what the Jewish people taught, but it wasn't based on Scripture. And Jesus so therefore answered and said, "Who is my mother and sister and brother?" And he pointed to his community of believers that he was saying, "I will build my church," and he was building it. He and he points to those that are in that community, uh, most of whom he had called named the twelve apostles and and they were his disciples, his followers, those who sat at his feet, a follower in those days. Uh, the idea was that, that you, you had a rabbi, and you were discipled by a rabbi, and the rabbi was who he was because his, his interpretations of Scripture was what you were after, and you would, you would live with him and follow him and, and serve him and do whatever it took to be with him all the time to hear his expounding because you had been brought up in such a way that by the age of twelve you'd memorized the first five books of the Bible, most of the rest of the Old Testament, and what you now needed was the proper interpretations thereof, and that's what you wanted in a discipler. Uh that's what the rabbi meant. And uh and you uh that's why when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount at the end, it says the, they were amazed because he was teaching them as one having authority not as their scribes and Pharisees. The other rabbis were clearly having false interpretations, and he was bringing the true interpretation of, of Moses and the scriptures. And they they his teaching was so clear that they knew, ah, we finally have someone who actually knows what it really means and is actually representing God the Father's spirit, attitudes, teachings, uh, and has actually given us orthodox ideas that will lead to an orthopraxy, an, an orthodox practice of life. And so, um, Jesus is basically saying, those who are sitting at my feet, right? remember Martha and Mary, and, uh, um, you know, Mary sitting at his feet, and listening to my words, and doing it as a lifestyle together, they're the priority over even my own mother and brothers who were not doing it and that's why jesus turns to john on the cross because jesus brothers did not believe in him till after the resurrection and he doesn't follow the jewish hierarchy of of telling his oldest brother to take care of mary he entrusts his mother to his uh, closest disciple and in, in saying because he's saying you are my closest brother you are uh, the, the ones that are going to continue to take care of my family, and I am therefore entrusting the care of my mother to you because that takes priority even over a natural family because they're not, they're not following my word. Now later, we know at least James and Jude, two of Jesus' four brothers named in the New Testament, became followers of Christ in fact so much so that they both wrote a new testament epistle and james by by the time we get to acts chapter 15 james the lord's brother has clearly uh become the head pastor of the church in jerusalem and because peter and and all the other apostles were now itinerant planning churches uh thomas went as far as india in his lifetime uh Andrew went as far as what's today Sweden and Norway and Finland planting churches, and the gospel really did, in that first generation, go into all the world. What Jesus was saying, that this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world, was actually fulfilled in the very first generation. At least all the known world, obviously not the Western Hemisphere. So... um that's just a jumping ahead foreshadowing to understand. Help us understand. Uh, you cannot use the what our cultural Christianity tells you is your priority in relationships. You must use God's priorities according to His revealed word. So let's get into this. Uh, element six: re- receiving Jesus reconciliation. Our uh, theme verse in element six is, "But to all who did receive Him." he who, who believed in his name he gave them the exousia that is the power and the authority in in one so not just legally or the, you know the, the you know unfortunately the modern protestants uh have this concept called imputed righteousness versus imparted but true imputed righteousness always imparts righteousness and changes you from the inside out and begins to give you the power to to be sanctified, the power to do to be a, a law a follower and a law abider, and so um, you those concepts can exist theoretically, but they cannot actually exist in practice. They're in, you know, living it is inextricably intertwined. In, in, in fact, James makes it quite clear in his epistle that 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 living it is the evidence that you have it. You know, when I uh deal with someone who has the same problem consistently or whatever like they won't get along with God or they won't uh take the proper steps to start overcoming some uh addictive behavior in their life or uh or whatever and so forth you begin to understand there's th- that's the symptom of the problem the r- real problem being the relationship with God at its root and so that's that's huge you need you need to always understand that. What we do in the church today is what repeat, a lot of people call moralizing or moralistic therapeutic deism. We preach to the symptoms and we tell people to change their symptomatic behaviors without changing the root of the tree. And uh, that's what we're trying to get after in this whole uh, long series that we're now on. I believe this is if I. If that count at the top is right, because I always worry if I forgot to change it one week, but uh, I think we're on our 61st message. Uh, someone could check last week's outliner. I would love if somebody went back and figured out if I'm, on, if I'm counting them right at this point, if anyone wants to take on that task, uh, who has access to, the, uh, to what we, uh, the, what do you call that, online place where we store Dropbox. We have, some of you who have on the leadership team will have access to Dropbox, if you want to. Do that project. Go go for it. So, um, anyway, in terms of receiving, receiving has to do with conversion, and it's important that you at least know this much by heart if you're going to share the gospel with anything, with anyone. Conversion has two steps. Repentance and faith, but uh, but not the modern uh, fundamentalist faith of theoretically believing, A true biblical faith of trusting and following enough to obey, cling to, rely on, die with, and live on the other side of the resurrection with—that kind of faith and (laughs) real faith, but Bible faith, not abstract Greek theoretical faith that has taken over the Western churches today. So, um, conversion has that those two ingredients: repentance and belief. Um, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Receiving Christ has two ingredients. One is the new birth, and the other is conversion. Uh, so uh, the new birth is when your spirit is quickened and Christ, by the Holy Spirit, comes to reside in you. You do get the Holy Spirit at, at regeneration before you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's very clear, and you can start to make progress in, in sensing God's presence in worship and sitting at his feet reading his word and in prayer. And, and when you're around people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can have a flow spiritually between each other as, as you sense the presence of God. All that can start to happen and should start to happen even before you uh, uh, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. If there's a delay, obviously the biblical pattern would be to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the same day that you receive Christ. But the second aspect of receiving Christ is conversion. And then I got ahead of myself. Conversion itself breaks down into two steps. So you can actually say like receiving Jesus Christ is points one and two. And point two conversion has two uh, sub-points. Sub-point A is uh, repentance and sub-point B is uh, is, um, faith. Now today... All the words we've done so far uh have had to do with the new birth or uh, we've done a whole lot of messages on words that have to do with what repentance is that include confession confession of sin contrition of heart mourning over your sins not bragging about them like who can talk I was the worst alcoholic before Jesus you know like you know people have this like bragging thing about their how their sins uh re- repentance Renunciation, uh, making restitution, uh, etc. All these words we've been looking at have to do with the concept of repentance. And the Bible normally will say repent and believe in most verses. However, sometimes it will just say repent, but that's because in the Bible, concepts include everything that's a part of that concept. That's why the first commandment represents all the commandments. All the other nine are breaking the first one. Okay? That's why your tithe represents that all of your money is not your money. It's his money, and you're a steward of it. And, it, you know, the teaching today is that you give 10% to God, You like you give it to him. First of all, it's his in the first place. He, he gave it to you as a stewardship, not as an owner. And you uh, return in your obedient worship 10% to him, As a way of acknowledging, it's all yours, God. How do you want me to steward the rest of it for your kingdom? So repentance is a word that represents all of these words. All right, so this is probably the last word, reconciliation, that really has to do with repentance. And uh, it actually begins to get us into what true faith is. So it's a kind of a transitional word I chose on purpose to end to make the transition because, again, true repentance always leads to true faith. As you remember our eight statements about the nature of repentance that we went over for like five weeks. So uh, today let's look at this uh, word reconcile, or or past tense reconciled is a verb. Reconciliation is the noun that describes what happened. And I want to start with uh, three different translations of Amos 3.3, uh, a very difficult verse to translate. And uh, and actually, I don't even in a very rare situation, I don't even like the New American Standard or ESV's translation of it. But uh, the New King James Version I think has one of the best translations of it. Can two walk together? That's an action. Uh, it's not theoretical. Can two walk together unless they agreed? And it's a covenant term. It's like unless they have a covenant with worked out boundaries and definitions and so forth. You know, I'm always saying define the relationship. So can um, the complete Jewish Bible says, do two people travel together without having so agreed? You know, it's kind of hard to travel together if you're not even in agreement about where you're going let alone how you're supposed to get there. Uh, the New Living Translation, uh, which is a dynamic equivalence philosophy of translating, says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Now, uh, that, this is so important because there's actually, uh, it's hard to believe if you understand biblical theology at all, but this is a major, major deal that's happening in Protestant evangelical circles that there are battles going on in all the seminaries about. It's called the Lordship Savior debate. And the I, the debate is, can you make Jesus your Savior and therefore be saved, by which they don't mean saved from your sin and saved in the sense of being restored in the image of God and becoming more Christ-like, like you were intended, and having in learning, you know, to walk in character and wisdom and holiness and so forth, they mean go to heaven in the end. <laughs> Even though you might not really like much about God or heaven right now, somehow you're going to like it when you get there. And uh, you know, uh, and of course, so they've they've truncated the definition of salvation to be to being saved from hell and into heaven, instead of saved from sin and all the consequences and ramifications of the fall of man and restored into the the image of Christ that you were always intended to be, walking in his supernatural power with his supernatural wisdom, doing his supernatural mission by the power of his resurrection and his Holy Spirit. That's what biblical salvation means. And, uh, you know, so they've turned it into, can you... Say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior, which, which we can mean, I don't really want to do what you want to do, and I don't want to be with your people, and I don't want to seek you that much, and I certainly don't want to spend time alone with you, and I, and I don't really want to conform my life and grow up the way you want me to, and, but by God, when I die, I want to be saved from hellfire, <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, is that heaven and hell are just the outworking of the direction of your life already. So if you don't really love to be with God and have him uh, be your absolute first love and priority now, what makes you think you would like to be in heaven? You wouldn't. You would opt out very quickly after you arrived uh, because you wouldn't like the spirit, the attitudes, the, um, the goals, the motivations, the priorities, the people. You wouldn't like any of it. So What they're actually saying in this debate is, can you have Jesus as your Savior without actually following him in practical, everyday, obedient ways? You know, for instance, the average American goes to the Lord's Day worship with a community of believers about 80% of the time, but they're not going to let it interrupt their little league games or their softball team or their family vacations or whatever, they're not going to you know maybe cut their vacation day uh, short a little bit on Saturday or you know use it to do like research in the history of the church and so forth like if you're going to be on if you're going to be out of Dayton on a on the Lord's day well you know before you even go on the trip research the churches in the area and uh, and you know think about your theological studies and like you know I think I'm going to visit this kind of church and be a part of their worship that Lord's day so that I can kind of understand what God did in this move of God in the 17th century, and that this is the you know the residue of or the residual ramifications of now and so forth. So, but my God, don't don't miss on the Lord's Day unless you're dead. So, um, you know, so the idea is, can I make Jesus my fire insurance? but not actually become his all-out follower. And they actually, the, 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 the absurdity of this debate is simply this. Any study of the Bible as a whole, uh, which starts with creation and being created in man's, in God's image, man being created in God's image, with a commission, the Great Commission, the, you know, the cultural mandate, the Dominion Covenant, and, and with man getting knocked off of that, it's that Christ came to restore us back to not only just relationship with God in some abstract way, but relationship to his covenant people in, in whom he's working his covenant redemptive purposes so that you can become part of the mission of God. The first part of the mission is for you to become more and more like Christ. And therefore, because every seed brings forth after its own kind, how you manage your finances will have a lot to do with how you can disciple someone. Because they're going to become the people you lead to Christ are going to become exactly like you. In your in your priorities. If you have some priority in the in your walk with God that's out of out of whack, then you will either bear no fruit or you'll bear rotten fruit. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Woe are you because you'll travel all over to make one proselyte and then you'll turn him into twice as much of a son of hell as you are. Every seed brings forth its own kind. So in this Lordship Savior debate, part of the absurdity of it is what he's saving you from is being your own Lord and living life according to your definitions of truth and your reasoning natural mind and in, out of your fallen nature. And you ultimately being uh, the arbitrator of, you know, like I, I work with people all the time who have accepted some psychologist's definition of their emotional stability or not. Well, I can't really do that because uh, I'm not emotionally strong enough or whatever. Like, who told you? Remember, that's what, what, what God said to Adam when he said, we heard you coming and we were naked and we were ashamed. And uh, God said, who told you? He didn't say, how did you figure out? Because sin has always got personal spirits behind it. Who told you you were naked? Why are you listening to a voice different than my voice about who you are? Most people have actually limited who they are because they, instead of believing I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, they have big limits on what they can and cannot do in their, in their mind and their emotions. And they've redefined themselves less than the God is defined them as a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that's the whole power. The only power of Satan is that he's a father of lies. So if you've believed demonic spirits' interpretation of who you are, As a man or woman, thinketh in in their own heart, King James, so you are. If you really understand, I can do all things. When you're recreated in Christ, you're meant to be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a superhuman. That's really why, um, you know, I got discipled by Logan on on the back porch and, uh, like, he, I, I, I didn't know anything about, like, comics, so he told me that there's two camps, like, DC Comics and, uh, and Marvel Comics. And, and he told me, like, you know, like, Captain America was, uh, I think, with Marvel? or Yeah, and, um, you know, and he told me, like, who all, but the reason people like su- guys with superpowers, you know, like, they can stretch their arm, for, is because you were meant to, is, you were created to have superpowers, that's supposed to be the normal, you know, we used to talk about, you know, when somebody got healed or whatever, that if it wasn't like being raised from the dead or something that seemed really impressive, it was like, wow, God gave us one of the common everyday book of Acts kind of miracles that we should consider normative. For, for God to give you total discernment about someone that is just walking uh, in your front door for the first time even dogs can often sense, especially if, you, if a dog's been raised in a godly home, can sense the spirit of evil people coming down the driveway versus uh, someone they can trust. Even many many animals can even do that. And do you think God created them to have more spiritual sensitivity and power than you than we're supposed to have? And we've accepted. You know, like, instead of trusting the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your, on your own understanding, we've accepted a def- definitions of life to live out of our own understanding. Well, that's the whole Savior Lordship debate. The truth of the matter is, He's saving you from being your own Lord. So it's an absurd debate, it's an absurd question, and it's actually just one symptom of how incredibly far off base Bible-believing Christianity in our day is. It is a worse situation than what led to the Reformation. We need a restoration of the church that needs to be a bigger move of God worldwide, sustained over two or three centuries than what the Reformation brought, by far. Because so-called Bible-believing Christianity has bought into all kinds of paradigms of interpreting the Bible that has very little to do with God in the Bible. Including the fact that this debate even exists is, is more just a symptom of the problem. How could you be saved without his becoming your Lord? Because He's saving you from not being your Lord, not having God as your Lord. That's what He's saving you from, having other Lords except God. And you weren't created to to have other lords except God. You weren't created to have other gods besides him. Does everyone get that? All right. Uh, long time developing that, but just so you, you understand that's that's the symptom of the current uh, state of affairs. Second Corinthians five uh, thirteen through twenty one. I only could fit eighteen through twenty-one on the page, so all this is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself, and and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you're reconciled to God, you are now an ambassador. The word ministry—we don't you uh, like we think of ministry in in, in America is a religious thing. You know, I have a call to the ministry. Yes, you do. Every Christian is called to the ministry, full-time, all the time. You're not necessarily called to earn your living from it, but you are called to full-time ministry. And in, in, you know, uh, English-speaking countries, the word minister is what we say by, you know, treasury secretary, by a cabinet position. You know, secretary of war is the ministry of war or the ministry of the treasury, or the ministry of education. You are called to be an ambassador from another kingdom into the kingdom of this world, pressing out the crown rights of the king of the kingdom and extending his kingdom into every heart you touch in your everyday life. That's what God has given you if you've been reconciled to God you are a minister of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. I'm using the ESV in this particular verse. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message or the word or uh, the proclamation, it's probably a best translation, of reconciliation. Therefore, what's the therefore? Because he's given us, if we've been reconciled to him, we have this cabinet position an ambassadorship and we can't you know like the the ambassador uh to uh the you know to russia can't just go over and tell putin whatever he wants he has to represent the country that sent him and all their confused policies (laughs) Uh, it's a good thing we're representing a different king who's not confused uh many of his people are unfortunately but uh Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what you're, you know, doing. Like when you're, take you're a nurse and you're taking uh, someone's blood pressure. You know, by the way, you should be reconciled to God. <laughs> you know, and uh, the call of God on your life. Uh, for our sake, He made Him to be sin. That is. Uh, ontology to be like he became sin, who never experienced any sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took all his sin, the sin, uh, the power of sin, not just individual sins, but the entire power of sin came on. And Isaiah says his soul became sin, and for a brief cosmic moment, when he cried out, "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" the impossible, that it's only possible with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were broken in fellowship for a cosmic incident because the Father and the Holy Spirit could not look upon uh, sin. And he was spiritually dead and physically died as a result. Because spiritual death always works its way out into physical death eventually. In this case, right away. Um... Now, the word reconciled means to change, exchange for an equivalent value. That's why we have so many songs about the cross. I will not forget the cross. You know, uh, because he paid a debt I could not pay. What God did was he actually took for reconciliation, you know, you have to reconcile your checking account every month. You know, the amount that's actually in there has to agree with what the bank says it's in there, what's in your register, you know, that you're reconciling your records, you know, right? And uh, so forth. Uh, You know, again, to, to, to return to favor, to be reconciled, to receive into favor, to exchange. But the exchange has to be of like value. You know, I have often, I like to have fun with, uh the waitresses and then i always because i do i always uh surprise them and tip usually at least 50 percent. a lot of times i'll tip 100 percent, you know so that after we leave they're like oh man that guy was joking with me and stuff but at least he you know at least he gave me a ten dollar tip you know uh but i you know i you know i'll say stuff like you know like uh uh would would you give me a 20 for these two fives <laughs> you know uh, and you know they never fall for it you know they laugh and i laugh but no one's ever gone sure i'll give you a 20 for these t- for those two fives <laughs> you know uh because it's not an equal it's not an equal reconciliation right so the beauty of christianity was that he took our our all of our sin nature as well as our individual sins of the whole human race on himself in such a way that he's accepting the offer of your entire life because you can't have any you know the idea that you can pray a sinner's prayer and and continue to be no you have to you have to say like lord my this is you have to exchange your life for his life cuz there's no covenant in effect without the shedding of blood, with, in other words, without the giving of the whole life. So if he doesn't have your whole life, he de- then, then, then you're not reconciled. But if you begin to understand the depth of our sin and our depravity, the fact that he's worked out a way to take our life as a substitution for his is what we—that's why it says in Ephesians two that for the ages to come we'll praise the unfathomable greatness of His grace. If you have any glimpse into how fallen you are, from some distance and see the tip of the iceberg of it, you—you you, you can't like you just can't imagine. Like He's taking me, just like all I have to give is my life, and He's taking that as as balancing the books. And he's giving me his life and living now going to live his life through me? That's reconciliation. I'm now walking in agreement with his spirit, his ways, according to his word, with his people, doing his covenant purposes, which he does in his churches. And that's why he gives them elders and and direction and scripture and so forth, because it's a community of people living under his lordship, reconciled to him. They're the community of the reconciled. And somehow he's counting that as balanced books. And that's amazing grace. You wouldn't, like, you don't even want to know. <laughs> like, 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 you know, you start thinking about your sinfulness. Like, how could, how could he even, you know... We're not talking that we're able to bring 10 cents on the dollar. You know, we're not able to bring a penny on the dollar. We're actually bringing negative numbers on the dollar. (laughs) So that is reconciliation, and that is by his sovereign choice. And that's called grace. Romans 5, 8 through 10, God demonstrates. Like, see no nothing that's not demonstrated is actually real in the in biblical thinking okay so you can't be theoretically saved because you pray to sinner's prayer but but your life is still just as as messed up as it was he demonstrates his own love toward us and you know there there comes a time in the marriage when you know the husband says I love you so much and she says like if you do You know, why don't you get a job? (laughs) Why don't you quit gambling away the family money? Why don't you quit spending it on drugs? Why don't you, uh, you know, ever buy me flowers? Because it's just a Wednesday or some random thing. I I love buying my wife flowers for random occasions that are no occasion at all. I never even get Valentine's Day or anything. I just skip it. (laughs) But then she'll get flowers because it's Tuesday now that I have Stephen I can do it more often because I send him to get I I send them to get don't forget while you're out running errands for the church to pick up my wife a bouquet of flowers (laughs) and uh when you're done arranging them in the vase bring them up to my study so I can see how you did (laughs) really that happens in our house Uh, so uh God demonstrates his love. More than that now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were sinners we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And then uh and while we were enemies, one of, one verse says, while we're sinners, verse eight, verse ten says, enemies. So just in case you're not clear what a sinner means. Like because we have this modern definition of sinners in this very legalistic you know, it means that I drink and I smoke and stuff. But, you know, like we never address things like I gossip or I'm uh, bitter or, or uh, I'm selfishly ambitious or I'm braggadocious uh, and telling you how great is. I'm a sports star and I'm in your face when I make a basket and, and have no character and, and all this, you know, uh, but, 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 but I'm a Christian. You know, sin is, is, is hateful to God. Sinners are, are saying, I'm an enemy to God in their heart. They're against him and his purpose. So how much more if those who've been reconciled to him be saved by his life? Let's hope I can get a little bit into this message. I did jump ahead and do part B a little bit at the beginning. So therefore, remember, this is so important. In fact, I'm just going to spend the rest of the time on these verses. Um, because you know, even yesterday I was with these Christians that I grew up in the Lord with. I was at a funeral for a guy, a brother in the Lord, that Catherine and I grew up in the Lord with, and uh, you know, I'm talking to guys and I'm explaining what we're doing here in Dayton, and you know why we're uh, pursuing a uh, you know a diverse church of not just Black and American, but uh, Africans and. And Singaporeans and Indians and Chinese and you know what ha- what have you is is because of this these verses. Now, hopefully, all of you almost know Ephesians chapter two one through ten by heart. It's like the most preached uh, portion of scripture in all of evangelicalism. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you know He made you alive in Christ, and so forth, and. Uh, you walked according to the three enemies: the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that's working in the sons of disobedience, the you know the flesh, the devil, and the world. And by grace you've been saved, and so forth. All, that is always preached in just individualistic me and God terms. But remember, the paragraphs in the Bible were added later by uh, by translators. And the, and so was the numbering in the chapters, so that we could, uh, you know, so that we could, uh, um, you know, so that we could understand where we're at and so forth. But Ephesians two eleven through sixteen is a continuation of Ephesians two one through ten. It's the same thought continuing. So therefore, because of all he said about being saved by grace through faith and created for his workmanship. As a result of this, remember that the, that's what the therefore is there for. That at one time you were, you Gentiles in the flesh, uh, called the uncircumcision and so forth, remember that you were separated from Christ, which an, of necessity means alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. This whole modern idea that that the things that apply to Israel don't apply to the church and stuff that's called dispensationalism is a heresy that is that is incredibly absurd and it's destroying Christianity. It's, and I'm not overstating the case. It is the enemy of God, the whole teaching of it. And there's lots of people who love God that are sitting under that teaching, having their Christian life wasted by it, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us to uh, both, uh, where was I? Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And I, even though I'm sure you're tired of me preaching on this, I was preaching on it yesterday to a bunch of people that were scratching their head and going, Really? Is that important? Yes. It is the number one black mark. that Our bad theology, everything that, that we're our anti-supernatural and lack of power of the Spirit, all of it is less important than the fact that we have segregated churches all through this whole country. We have separate Kenyan churches, Korean churches, Rwandan churches, black American churches, white American churches, white American rich churches, white American poor churches. And until the church does something serious about this, Jesus gave the world the right to judge whether he came based on, he said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The world has a right to say, you guys are full of crap. You're lying, you're fooling yourself because Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America the government can mandate by law that we have to work together and that we have to go to the same schools. But even in most schools, you know, the black kids and the white kids, they don't even hang out together in school. Right? And when people have the choice, black people do not want to worship with white people and white people don't want to worship with black people. And less than 7% of churches in America are actually integrated. And that means that they're not even interpreting Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 right. Because it's not a radically individualistic message. It's being reconciled to Christ, which means becoming part of the commonwealth of Israel and, and the two becoming one body. And there were no churches in the first several centuries that were not uh, multinational and multiracial. Because of the, because of the dis, various dispersions, I can't go into the history of that at this point, 722, 586, 333, 167 BC, these, these waves of dispersions, there were Jewish synagogues throughout Rome, and they went to the synagogue first, and then announced that God had said, this is the end for Israel, and I'm building a new Israel. It's called the church, and you by faith in Christ Jesus can continue to be the people of God if you follow Him. Otherwise, you're about to be cut off. And He made the Gentiles and the Jews in every city one church. And that's what they all practiced. Now the Acts 6 shows us there were sometimes some growing pains about that. Paul talking about rebuking Peter. When he came, because, the you know, in this particular church, the Jews and the Gentiles were sitting at separate tables still eating. And if you, you know, wonder why I kind of harangue on the, you know, like say, you know, we can't have the Kenyan table, we can't have, you know, uh, you know, sit with somebody who you never sat with before. Sit with someone who's not the same age, not the same educational level, and who's not is easy to talk to is someone who's just like you. And get to know them for who God is making them. This isn't some small point. This is the essence of whether we really are Christian or not. You know, they actually, if you've heard of the genocide that happened in Rwanda in the 1990s, up until then, all Christian literature used Rwanda as the example of what how discipleship works, and it was considered the most Christianized nation in Africa. But when Push came to shove the bottom line was they identified with their tribe of origin more than they identified with christ's church, and they killed the brothers and sisters who that who were supposed to be worshipping. In the you know churches on the same block but were divi- but their churches were divided by tribes and there are actually whole books out there trying to say what happened what what happened because we thought Rwanda was so Christianized and it clearly wasn't and to this day I've had students at Sinclair from Rwanda who don't want. And you to know which of the two tribes that they're f- came from because they're scared because they can the murder spree continued for years to come throughout other nations people from the one tribe were being hunted down by the other and murdered and they were like i'm not going to tell you what tribe i'm from i keep that a secret I, I don't want that to be known they've even changed their name because you know if you know anything about african names you can tell what tribe they're from by the name so I'm going to end with that because I need you to understand that's what it means to be reconciled. It means that you don't just have over for dinner people who don't have bed bugs or people who don't have leprosy. People, uh, you, you invite over for dinner people who could never invite you back. And that doesn't mean we just come together on Sunday mornings and shake each other's hand and then go home to our separate worlds. That's not, that's not acceptable. And the, and the world will, for continue to say, Christianity as we, the expressions of what's called evangelical Christianity it is, is considered irrelevant by the culture. In fact, every book I read by evangelical leaders will address one particular issue instead of all the issues, and they'll all say, the reason I'm addressing this issue is because the world is saying that we're irrelevant. And I think that we're irrelevant because we're not doing this biblical thing. And they'll put all their eggs in that one biblical basket out of 30-some things that they should be addressing. But they got it right that the world thinks we're irrelevant. And they'll continue to do so as long as Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. That's why it's important. That's why you should fast and pray that God makes this church very diverse because it's the only hope that there is for Christianity to continue to exist into the next generation. Less than 4% of people under 30 go to church today. And in one generation, we're going to look just like Europe if, we, if God doesn't do something radically, radically different in America. And it's just the height of insanity to keep doing it the same way and think we're going to get some different results.